I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a crazy question. I'll admit it right up front. But can you be too senile to be prosecuted for crimes that you admit you actually did, but not be so senile that you can't still be president of the United States. And I know that sounds like a crazy proposition. I'll give you the details on it in just a moment. But literally, they have determined at the Department of Justice, which is a Joe Biden agency, although don't ask Joe about it, he doesn't seem to remember much of anything these days. They have decided through their special counsel, Robert Hur, who investigated the theft of classified documents by Joe Biden. I'm not even going to call it he retained classified documents. That's like saying a shoplifter retained about $300 worth of stuff as he walked out the door. No, this is a theft. The president, sitting president of the United States, has confessed to just about everybody who will listen that he's been stealing classified documents for the last 50 years, going all the way back to 1974. So I want to get your input on this as well. So welcome to the best conversation in talk journalism. It happens right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You can vote in our poll on X. used to call it the Twitter poll. Now it's the poll on X. wanted to ask you about Nikki Haley. Should Nikki Haley bow out of the presidential race, or does she still have a snowball's chance? I'd say it's time for her to bow out, although I don't think she's going to, as long as that money keeps coming from those establishment Republicans who want somebody to block Donald Trump. In fact, there are days where I wonder, who's the bigger threat to Trump? Is it the Democrat Party and their crazy leader, Joe Biden? Or is it actually establishment Republicans who seem to want to work even harder and put more money behind the efforts to try to keep Donald Trump out of office? So you can imagine. And the more, this is the fun part of it, the more that people stand up to oppose Donald Trump in, you know, doesn't make any common sense to do it. Let him run. If you think he's that bad, Americans won't choose him. Although the latest polls say he'd beat uh, Joe Biden by about five percentage points. And I can't imagine what the polls are going to say after this DOJ report today. But you can find today's poll on X at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in. I join. You should, too. Just go to amac.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC's better, better for you and better for America. Yesterday, I asked you, is Tucker Carlson selling out America by doing an interview with Vladimir Putin? And I answered that question, no. He's doing what every reporter who has any, any who's worth anything. You know, any reporter who's worth his stuff would try to get interviews with Vladimir Putin and Zelensky and the whole bunch. So is he selling out America, as the mainstream media and the legacy media suggest? Uh, I said no, so did 95% of you. Only 5% of you said yes. But I want to ask you this. Is Joe Biden too senile to be prosecuted? Because that, believe it or not, is the conclusion of the Biden Department of Justice. 
They went out and they hired this Robert Herr character to be the special counsel, meaning he's a lawyer and he gets paid. He's not technically an, an employee of the DOJ. He's drawn a public paycheck from the public treasury, though. And what did he come to the conclusion of? Joe Biden is so out of touch with everything. His memory is so bad. And if you say, Lars, how bad is it? Here's what they wrote. Joe Biden can't remember when he was vice president. Now, let me point out to you, Joe Biden's presidency includes a period of time within the last 10 years. I mean, you anybody in politics should be able to tell you Joe Biden became president in January of 2009 after the 2008 election. He ceased being vice president to Barack Obama in January of 2017 when the greatest president uh, uh, of all time, of this century anyway, Donald Trump became president. So... I know when he was vice president, Joe Biden can't remember when he was vice president. And you say, well, maybe exact dates. He's not even close. And when it comes to his son, Bo Biden, believe me, Joe Biden talks about Bo Biden all the time. He, he lost his son to cancer. So what does he do? He's running for reelection. He's got a curry sympathy somewhere. So he tells anybody who will listen, including the families of service members who've died in the line of duty. Most recently, three service members from Georgia who were murdered by a terrorist attack on the Tower 22 camp in the country of Jordan. They died in service to their country. What does Joe Biden say? Yeah, my son died in Iraq during the Iraq war. That is a big fat lie, except I guess if the DOJ is right and he's just confused about who he is, when he was vice president, when his son died, all of these things. The DOJ special investigator, special counsel, Robert Hur, literally said Joe Biden can't guess the date of his son's death within years. He can't even come close. And you would think even if his vice presidency was not all that memorable, and I remember it is not all that memorable, you'd think since he talks about Bo Biden all the time, the good son, a son who became attorney general of a state, uh, the son who was involved in uh, raising money for charity, as opposed to the other one, the one who was uh, coked up and was uh, sleeping with hookers and fathering illegitimate an illegitimate child. I don't want to misstate that one. As far as we know, uh, you know, Hunter Biden only has one illegitimate child. The grandchild that Joe Biden didn't even want to admit existed, pretended she didn't exist for a time. I mean, this is one screwed up family. But Joe Biden, what the special counsel Robert Hur decided is, number one, Joe Biden kept classified documents that he had no right to keep which means, in plain terms, he stole them. As a senator, he has admitted that he began taking classified documents home in the 1970s, 1974 to be specific. So when you take something that you have no right to take and you keep it, do, don't we just call that theft? Don't we just call that stealing? So he stole classified documents, he hung on to them, and he disclosed them. The very thing that the mainstream media absolutely went nuts about a couple of years ago when the FBI staged that giant raid on Mar-a-Lago and all of the people, all the talking heads on CNN and MSNBC, they came out and they said, why, Donald Trump has classified documents and they might include nuclear secrets and we don't know who he's giving them away to. 
You just watch. Since this report came out today, watch and see if the CNN and MSNBCs of the world and the New York Times and the WAPO and all the usual legacy media, see if they get as excited about 50 years of stealing classified document, 50 years of stealing and retaining those documents, 50 years of giving them away to God knows who. And I'd point out to you, some of those documents, yes, were stored in a cardboard box in his garage in Delaware. Some of them were stored in the Chinese Communist-funded Biden Center at UPenn in a closet where apparently nobody knew they were there, including Joe Biden who can barely remember his own name right now. Too senile to be prosecuted, says the DOJ, but not senile enough not to be president of the United States. Can you believe it? You got the Lars Larson show. strong Wi-Fi signal. His voice will reach you. This is Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I'll get back to your phone calls and emails shortly. Uh, you're going to have to forgive me if I've sold this country short. Not America, but a country that we're about to sign a trade deal with. And if you ask me, Lars, name the three countries you'd think the United States would be most likely to sign a new trade deal with. This country would not be on that list. So, Ryan Young, will you please forgive me for perhaps selling short the country of Switzerland? Ryan, by the way, is a senior fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. How are you, sir? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. I mean, I asked one of my producers, I said, what, what do you suppose the number one out, uh, export of Switzerland is? And he said, chocolate. I said, that would have been my, my guess as well. Turns out it's not even in the top five. It's It's a bunch of stuff. Number one is gold. But why is a trade deal between the United States and Switzerland so very significant? Well, it, what it would do is it would set a precedent for other agreements. Every single trade agreement we have going with the U.K., Europe, uh, President Biden's Indo-Pacific region, the Trans-Pacific Partnership with China, every single one of those is stalled. Every single one of those is going nowhere. And the reason is that they're too complicated. They're taking the mega agreement approach where instead of just doing trade, they're sticking in environmental issues, labor standards, oh. intellectual property. <laughs> They're basically a progressive wish list. So we're saying keep it simple, start small, set a precedent. Switzerland's a good place to start. It doesn't have to be them, but it's something that's doable. We can set a precedent for those larger agreements. Am I right in guessing that part of that is this ESG nonsense in environmental and social governance and DEI and, and all the rest of that garbage? Yeah, yeah, a lot of that's part of it. Um, you know, if you look at the Pacific Rim Agreement that the Biden administration is trying to do, um, they really are just wishlisting American progressive policies on countries that don't want them, and it's pushing them away from us and towards China. So there's a foreign policy component here. We need to build alliances against China and against Russia, and trade agreements, you know, if we're imposing our policies on other countries from their perspective, that's not so different from what China's doing to them. We need to be more appealing if we want countries to be in our free orbit instead of China's authoritarian orbit. We're not doing that. And the Swiss agreement that we're proposing here uh, would at least set a precedent for building up to something more appealing that would improve U.S.'s foreign policy, not just our economy. 
I guess one of the things I, I worry about, Ryan, when I talk about something on the air, if I'm ever going to propose, hey, we ought to do this, I have to be ready to have that rule applied, you know, throughout so that, you know, I, I hate being called a hypocrite. Uh, you know, and, and so if, if they say, well, Lars, you were in favor of, you know, punishing these people this way, but now you're not. Um, when the United States starts telling other countries, by the way, we'll have a trade deal with you, but you've got to do DEI, ESG, all these other things, some of them social, some of them cultural, all these other requirements. I wonder how the United, I mean, I'm sure the woke liberals would love it if every country on the planet started saying you've got to have C, you know, CRT, DEI, ESG, all the rest of this stuff. They'd probably like it until it got to the point where some other country said, we're only going to trade with you if you do things the way we do things in our country, which seems a bit, uh, what, egocentric, maybe jingoistic, saying you've got to be like us because an awful lot of the world is not like us. Yeah, and the kind of environmental and climate regulations, those are expensive. A lot of countries can't even afford them, even if they wanted them. Uh, so what we're saying is take all that trade unrelated stuff out, just stick to trade, and even then just one simple idea called mutual recognition, where if there's a country that we trust, you know, Switzerland, Japan, UK, um, if they approve a product that's safe, um, then we approve it as well. And that cuts both ways. That'll open up new markets for our producers. It'll give U.S. consumers more choices and more affordable prices. That mutual recognition concept, if that's the core of a simplified uh, free trade agreement, it'll be easier to negotiate, easier to implement, and hopefully set a precedent for something big. Now, I did see some odd things on their list of biggest exports from Switzerland, and it really did kind of surprise me. Number one is gold, which is interesting and could be a conversation for another day. But number two is what they call packaged medicaments. Now, do I do I read that right? That's pharmaceuticals, right? Yeah, pharmaceuticals are a big industry in Switzerland. Um, they were a big help to us during COVID getting vaccines over. And uh, something that was overlooked is that when we had that baby formula shortage a couple of years ago, when Congress finally temporarily undid some of those weird protectionist rules that they had in place, Switzerland came through in a big way. They sent uh, Nestle is based in Switzerland. They sent over an airplane load on a U.S. plane of something like 12,000 ounces or 12 million ounces of formula. Um, we got that to families. So if we just had those rules in the first place, that shortage, and it'll happen again sometime, would not have been nearly as bad. We need to have ways to route around those failure points and trade agreements, whether they're big or whether they're small, are a big part of that. And by the way, Ryan, you just mentioned Nestle, and I just know by experience the progressive left hates Nestle with a passion, don't they? So they're not going to give them any credit for that. Well, I don't know what their grievance is about that one, but that's not surprising. I think, I think it actually has to do with baby formula, but maybe they've gotten past that one. But the reason I, I noticed that one is an awful lot of conservative Americans look at China and say, why are we buying really essential pharmaceuticals and the base components of those pharmaceuticals from China? They're not friendly to us. Can we buy it from some friendly people? And I think we still count Switzerland as friendly. It seems like a great replacement for having to buy it from the Chinese communists. Yeah, not just Switzerland, but undoing some of those unfair restrictions against Europe or the U.K., Japan, all kinds of allies we have around the world that have high standards and that we can trust. Uh, Switzerland's just one country among many. We're just trying to start something bigger here with the U.S.-Switzerland agreement. Now, is it likely that the Biden administration is going to go? I mean, I know it's got less than a year to go, and I think they're going to be gone after November or after January of next year. But is it likely they're going to take the CEI uh, suggestion from Competitive Enterprise Institute, do it this way? Or are they going to stick to this liberal woke stuff? It's more likely than you think. Um, they've, we've had agreements 
to be negotiated with the UK and Europe for years. And because the agreements are so big and complicated, they're not going to start negotiations on some mega agreement. It'll last longer the administration, even if they do win a longer term. A simple mutual recognition trade-only agreement with a country that's already an ally that we already trust, that's going to be the easiest negotiation of his entire administration. So it's doable if he wants to. We're trying to make that case right now. Okay, so you're making the point that if they break, if they get a deal with Switzerland and it kind of sets the the tone for how the deal should be, that might just break the logjam for the rest of Europe. It's, that's the hope. It's, it's a new model that's simpler and less ambitious, but it's still a win and it's gettable, which is the important part. The mega agreements that we've been trying to do are just failing left and right. So this is something that we could actually make happen. Well, let me ask you about this because it's all, it's troubled me and I sense it troubles a lot of the people who listen to this show or call the show or write to the show. And that is we seem to do business with an awful lot of countries that are nasty countries that, you know, you could look at them and, and look at their behavior, their actions, China being number one, um, are not, they're antithetical to the United States and they're antithetical to free people. How much do our trade agreements actually reflect that? Because I think about how people run their lives. If they say, hey, there's a company in town and they've always been nasty toward me, whether it's in their customer service or just the way they act, I don't want to do business with them. People do that all day long. Do we do that as a country and say, if you're the kind of country who behaves much like we do, not not the particulars like CEI and DEI and ESG and all that, but just if you're a friendly country toward America, we're more likely to do business with you. Or, or do we do we bring that to trade deals? I think a lot of people just have a narrower, more self-interested view towards trade. Um, you know, you got steel companies looking out for steel companies. They got those tariffs in place. Those aren't against just China and bad actors. They're also against allies who put them up against Canada and Mexico and Europe. Um, but that was good for the steel industry. Um, well, until it wasn't, because <laughs> you know what happened <laughs> until with U.S. steel, steel got sold. You know, so that, that kind of just special interests tend to dominate trade policy, and we're trying to broaden the vision while getting the agreements smaller and simpler at the same time. I, I know that we're coming up to time on this, Ryan, but I really would like to know why, if U.S. Steel is going to be used by you know a new foreign owner to make money in America, why didn't somebody in America buy it and say, we'll use it to make money in America? It doesn't have to go to a foreign owner. And I've, I've had people complaining about it, saying the U.S. government should have blocked it. I'm not suggesting that, but I'm saying if it was an attractive buy, why wasn't it an attractive buy to somebody in America with the wherewithal to do it? Got about 10 seconds. Because U.S. Steel has fallen behind the times, and Nippon Steel it, it competes in a free market. They're a lot more rugged, a lot more competitive. They have ideas for improving U.S. Steel instead of shutting it down. So they want to make it better. Yeah, I just wish it could have been an American buyer that did it. That's Ryan Young from the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Back in a moment. The Lars Larson Show. Actually want to be at. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails. I want to mention a couple of stories first. First of all, 
a well an, an invitation to go and vote in our poll on X. Should Nikki Haley bow out of the presidential race or does she still have some legitimate chance of winning the Republican nomination to be president of the United States? I'd say she has no chance and she probably should bow out, but I'm willing to bet she will stay in. Doesn't mean I'm in favor of it. Just means I think that she'll probably do it as long as the donor money holds out. The poll on X is found at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com and always brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in. So I joined a long time ago, years and years ago. And I can actually remember years and years ago, unlike our current commander in chief, president of the United States, leader of the free world, Joe Biden, whose memory is so bad he doesn't remember when he was vice president. And he stopped being vice president about eight years ago. And he can't remember that. And he doesn't remember when his son, Bo, who he talks about constantly. Actually, I should say he lies about constantly saying, well, he died in the Iraq war. No, he died at home of cancer. And that's that's the crazy part of all this. So you've got that going on. And then this. Chuck Schumer had planned to take a victory lap to Ukraine, but I don't know where that's going now. There's a thing they have called a CODEL, which is a congressional delegation. These are the junkets that they take to various parts of the world. He was planning on a trip to Kiev, and yes, I do do call it Kiev, uh, not Kiev, it's Kiev, in anticipated approval of Ukraine aid, indicating because they plan these things enough ahead of time, that they had to say, yep, this is when we're going, because they were just sure they were going to get that Ukraine aid. Now that has not panned out, and that's too bad for Chuck Schumer, because now I guess he has to call that off in some way. A shout-out to our friends in Anchorage, Alaska, where they listen to Great Talk Radio every day on KVNT. That's AM 1020, and, of course, you can find my show there Monday through Friday. Glad to have your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Ray in Alabama, welcome to the program. Thanks for listening. What's on your mind today? Hey, thanks for taking my call. You this bet. thing about Biden just boils my blood. You know, I can, I expected a slap on the wrist. I did not expect a slap in the face because... He may be mentally incompetent now. He was not when he took the documents. That's true. He's so mentally incompetent that he can't face charges. How in any sane world can he be mentally competent enough to lead the nation, to be our president? He can't. He can't. And, Ray, it's one of the things I'm I'm not going to beg. I'm going to demand. I think we should demand not only the mainstream media, but also Republicans in office should start demanding if he is too senile to even stand trial for crimes that he admits he committed. And what he did is not a small thing. This isn't a parking ticket. This is stealing classified documents, as you point out, for decades, going back to 1974, keeping those documents, not returning them, and then apparently sharing them. And I gave you the one example uh, that I believe Hunter Biden took some of those classified documents and used them in memos he wrote for this company, Burisma, so he could make a million bucks a year for a job that was maybe worth a tenth of that amount of money. So the, the, the information was stolen, retained, shared, and to some extent sold. So those are crimes. Uh, if he is too senile to be judged for that, for those crimes he admits he committed, then he certainly doesn't have the capability to stay as president. Now, Ray, I also know 
that I'm going to hear from people who say, but if we get rid of Joe, we're going to end up with Kamala Harris. Yes, America will be stuck with Kamala Harris, who may be really dumb, not not dumber than a bag of hammers in my estimation. But you'll end up with her instead of Joe Biden, who is senile and evil. And the fact that he's senile means somebody else is calling the shots, which means we have a shadow presidency. Now, I don't care which party you're from. Is it frightening? Uh, Is it frightening to have the country in this much peril? We've got an invasion on our southern border. We've got a war in Ukraine. We've got tens of billions of dollars going to a corrupt country. We've got China rattling a saber over Taiwan. we got all and the Middle East now and a war in Israel against a terrorist group. And Joe Biden has been part of funding that terrorist group through his buddies in Iran. So you've got all that going on. Would you rather have senile or just stupid? <laughs> stupid. But stupid. like I say, I expected a slap on the wrist. To me, this is a slap in the face to the American people. Well, see, I think, Ray, if they could have gotten away with a slap on the wrist, I'll give you the example. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that there was a guy who stole people's uh, secret tax information. I mean, when you file your taxes, Ray, that is your business with the IRS. When I file my taxes, that is my personal business with the IRS. And and if you walked in and said, hey, I'd like to see Lars Larson's tax returns, they'd say, by law, we can't share it. So one of their employees <clears throat> who admitted he did it took the tax information of 7,500 people. Now, you can get, I think, up to 10 years in, in prison for every one of those. So he could have been in prison for the next, I guess, 35,000 years. Um, but what did he get instead? He got a slap on the wrist. I believe that if the Biden DOJ, uh, the special counsel, had thought, well, there's a way we can wash this out. We'll give Joe the equivalent of a presidential parking ticket for it. If they thought there was, but there's, you know, like like a lot of things, Ray, do you think there's such a thing as being a little bit pregnant? No. No. And there's not no such thing as stealing a little bit of classified information and hanging on to it illegally and sharing it illegally. That's it. It either is or it ain't. And and if it is, you can't say, but we've pled it down to um, I forgot I hung on to the boxes of documents and stored them in the Chinese communist funded Biden Center at UPenn. There is no sort of halfway. I mean, you could take a kid who gets in trouble and uh, he gets charged with, uh, uh, you know, a more serious crime and they plead it down to malicious mischief. You can do those kinds of things. I don't think the DOJ saw a way to wash this out as, well, yeah, he took boxes and boxes and boxes of classified documents and held on to them illegally. He had no right to possess them as a U.S. senator, and he also shared them with God knows who. But we'll find a way to plea that down to malicious mischief. It doesn't work that way. So if they said he's sane enough or not senile, not so senile he can't be put on trial, they'd be forced to recommend that he be charged with some very serious crimes for which Joe Biden could go to prison for a long, long time. And at that point, if they recommended those charges, whether they've been adjudicated or not, fact is the man has has admitted on television, on video, that he did these things. And he apparently didn't give a damn. And as you point out, back in 74, when he was a senator, you look at the speeches and the interviews he did, he may have been a liberal nutcase. He was actually more conservative by all of his statements, uh, some of the things he talked about. But he certainly knew exactly what he was doing. So if you say, well, if he knew and he did it anyway, then he's a criminal. 
Well, at that point, that opens the door wide open for Joe Biden to be impeached right out of office. Except that that puts the Democrats in the Senate in a terrible spot because of the Republicans say this president has committed high crimes and misdemeanors to wit. He stole classified information and shared it with people who had no business getting it. Then you go to impeachment. But then the impeachment goes over to the Senate. And can the Democrats in an election year get away with saying, yeah, we're not going to vote on that. We don't want to vote yes, even though he's clearly guilty. We don't want to vote no, because then we're defending his violations of the law. So we'll just sit on it. I don't think they can get away with that. They're in a, in a politically impossible situation. So the DOJ comes up with the one thing that gets them out of trouble to some extent. He's too senile to be prosecuted, but not too senile to keep on being president of the United States. Ray, thanks for the call. Back in a moment. You're listening to the Lars Larson Show. Almost every time we end up talking about something other than what we planned to talk about. Seton, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing well, sir. How are you? By the way, that uh, song you just played is the bumper music coming in. It was the first song I ever sang in college. Are you kidding? That's a song nope. you sang in college? It was the first song. I, I, I get, before I formed my band, because you remember, people don't know, I, I was a musician for my yep. 20s. And I tried to sell 50-minute records, and I didn't. Um and uh, that was a, a friend of mine's band was playing, and they had me up, and I actually sang it and then played harmonica on it. Yes. Well, I'll tell you what. We'll have to talk music another night. I, I've I, I've just I've just been going nuts the last couple of hours since this special counsel report came out saying that Joe Biden is too senile to be uh, to be indicted, but not too senile to I, I guess to be president of the United States. If you can figure that out. Well, you know, it's getting to you know. I was, this is going way back, I was on Fox and Friends right before Obama won the first time, and they said, what, what's going to happen with the media if Barack Obama wins? I said, well, Fox News is going to have to open nine branch channels, <laughs> because they're going to be the only ones reporting on all the bad stuff that's going to happen. Well, they've gotten to the brazen point now that they're just going to say this, He's too incompetent to stand trial for his theft of documents. And then and then tomorrow we'll wake up and that defense will never happen and it won't disqualify him as president. That's where we are now. It's this total gaslight situation now where they'll make one argument the day and then the next the next argue against the argument they just made the day before. You mean like Corrine Jean-Pierre trying to insist to Peter Ducey? There aren't people just walking across our border. And and you wonder, yeah, yeah, what yeah. what do you do when they're willing to just say, no, that isn't happening, and you can see it happening. They are the Baghdad right. Bob administration. I call I call her raggedy pander. Um, <laughs> but, but no, you know, and, and, and Ducey asked her about, asked her about uh, Biden talking to Mitterrand. Uh, last in twenty, you know, last who'd year who'd been, de- who'd been dead been, for a quarter of a century, yeah, for a quarter of a century, and she just blows by it like, oh, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole with you. That's not a rabbit hole. That's a memory hole the size of the border in Biden's head. Um, you know, it's 
And again, in the midst of, you know, we just had two, three years now of them saying he doesn't have a mental problem. And then we're going to use his mental problem as an excuse to get him out of, out of legal jeopardy. And then tomorrow we'll go back to saying he doesn't have a mental problem. No, and so far this week, what is he? What has he got? Uh, Helmut Kohl. You got uh, Angela Merkel. He's got uh, he's got Francois Mitterrand, and and he makes him president of Germany. That would be a change. Uh, and 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 he's got him alive in the twenty first century when he died well, in the twentieth century. They're rewriting history, Lars. They're rewriting <laughs> history, Lars. So um, why not do that too? Um, yeah, it, look, he's compl- uh, he was a vegetable. Before he announced running, I said the one guy that could maybe beat Trump was Biden because he's so old. He harkens back to when the Democrat Party wasn't completely insane. Now, I didn't know he had Alzheimer's at the time, but then he came out and it was obvious he had Alzheimer's from the moment he announced. I mean, he was he's been a bump, duttering, doddering fool ever since he announced. And it just doesn't it just doesn't seem to matter now. You and I discussed, I think we, uh, I, I don't know if you're as far as I am, I'm convinced the election was stolen. Um, I am with too. a bunch of no, millions I am of too. mail-in votes. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, and, no, and I'm, so, I'm there. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you, look. Look, I made that case and, since, and, since, since November of 2020. I've been making that case, yep. and every time I, I get regular callers, uh, you know, different ones, and they'll say, uh, you can't still believe that. Yes, I do. Would you like to know why? And then I'll tell them and I'll say, here are several examples where the laws were broken in counting the votes. The laws were broken in sending out the ballots and not in a small way. I mean, the most recent one was this data data guy from Georgia who's identified 35,000 people whose ballots were counted, but they voted illegally. And it was way right. more, far more than the difference than between the, the two. Well, and and, just, and people just, have to understand that, too. So. I went to 538.com, and I looked at the numbers. Trump went up more than 10 million votes. He won the in-person vote in all 50 states, meaning of the people that went in and cast a ballot in a polling place. He won California. He won New Jersey and New York. He won every state where where in-person voting was counted. The mail-in votes went up from 29 million in 2016 to 66 million in 2020. And Biden, who campaigned in a coma from his basement, got 81 million votes. Is that what you're telling me? Does nope. that make any sense to anyone? That's well, and, and here's the thing. See, I'd even allow uh, that you could have demographic differences between vote-by-mail votes and, and in-person votes, and, and but not that big. There's no way. I mean, because I remember when I first started covering elections, there'd be, a, you know, I was warned by old hands in the business. Hey, you know, the early vote is going to be the early pickup from here in the urban areas of whatever town you were in. And it will right. go one direction. But the rural vote will come in later because of travel distances for picking up ballot box and all that. And it will be markedly different. So be aware of that, because if you're not and you try to call it based on the early pickup. It, you're going to be wrong. Well, and and that was you combi- you co- Yeah, you combine those ridiculous numbers that I just gave with uh, Dinesh D'Souza's movie. Was it Dinesh yep. D'Souza? Yep, 2000 Mules. Yeah, it was. Well, it was D'Souza yeah. in, in tandem with uh, uh, True the Vote. And, True uh, the Vote. And, uh, yeah. Eaglebrecht. Or, uh, Eaglebrecht. Yep. I can't remember. Engelbrecht. Catherine Brady, Engelbrecht. Uh, yeah. 
Engelbert, yeah, and uh, sorry, Catherine. Um, and but but I mean, where, where you to qualify as a mule? What was it? You had to go to ten ballot boxes by yourself yep. In, yep. in one night. Yep. So if you did nine, it didn't count. And it's like it's like evil Santa Claus with a bag full of you know a satchel full of bag full of ballots over their shoulder, and they shake it into the in the ballot box, and then head to the next one via G. We we, we know this by GPS tracking. I mean, so so can so they cheat big absurd. enough to push Joe, you know, who's basically the real life version of Weekend at Bernie's across the finish line in November? Well, that's the question. I, I always say, can the Republican win outside the margin of theft? That's the question. And, and of course, you know, the, the, we talk about this all the time with inflation. You and I have to discuss this, where food's up 22 percent, uh, gas is up 18 percent, and all these things are like double digits. And then they say overall inflation's up 3 percent. You're like, wait a minute, what? How, how did we get all the way down to 3 percent when everything's double digits? And likewise, with this polling, you know, Trump, 72 to 20 on the border, Trump, you know, 82 to 15 on the economy, and then he's winning by two percentage points. Does that make any sense to anybody? No, it doesn't. That's Seton Motley, the president of the group called Less Government. Seton, it's always a pleasure. Send those emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Dial me up at 866-HEY-LARS. Check me out on Instagram and tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. And, of course, we're still going to be talking about Joe Biden and the extraordinary report from the Department of Justice uh, about Joe Biden being too senile to prosecute, but not too senile to still be president of the United States. But we have some other things to talk about as well. So welcome to the Lars Larson Show. It is honestly provocative talk radio for America. And you're invited to join the conversation at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com in a moment. I'm going to raise the question, are property rights simply vanishing in America? And I think this is happening all over this great country, and it is a sad day. Because if you understand, it's great to have God-given rights. It's wonderful to be able to speak your peace, to be able to express yourself, to be able to practice the faith of your choice, or no faith at all if you're sadly in that situation. It's right to... Uh, have the right to keep all your belongings and your papers secure from unwanted intrusion by the U.S. government. All of those things are great. If you can't own property, then you're probably lost because a lot of those other things are practical impossibilities. If you can't own anything, can you have a printing press? Can you have a website? Can you have a social media presence? And none of those things become very important if you lose this. But let me get into the details of that in just a moment. First, glad to have you with me. And if you want to jump in, 866-HEY-LARS or 866-439-5277. I imagine that tomorrow's poll on X 
is going to have to do with this report about the DOJ. Can you be so senile as to be exempt from prosecution and still serve as the president of the United States? That might be the first ex poll we've ever put up that got a 100% result on one side and no result on the others. Although, I would imagine that an awful lot of uh, Democrats and liberals, if the reporters out there in America's mainstream media had any guts at all, they'd take the next opportunity when they get an opportunity to talk to Joe Biden. He doesn't do interviews. I mean, heck, I think Vladimir Putin does more interviews than Joe Biden does uh, because everybody got all excited and bothered about Tucker Carlson's interview with Putin, which has now gone up online. Um, but but they immediately believe, well, you must be on that person's side. No, I think there are plenty of people ask questions of world leaders who are not at all on the side of those world leaders. They want to ask them hard questions. Can you imagine a reporter standing up the next time Joe Biden is walking out of the White House or walking out of an event and say, Mr. President, the DOJ says you're too senile to be prosecuted. Are you still capable of being president? I'd ask that question. And I understand there are reporters who don't have any guts to ask a tough question. But if Joe Biden's own DOJ has determined that he is too senile to prosecute for crimes that he admits he committed, what are the crimes? And because this is the thing, I get calls from people all the time. Well, I don't like Donald Trump. Why not? Well, because of all the bad things he's done. Well, what did he do? Let me tell you what Joe Biden did. Joe Biden stole classified documents. And when I say stole, I know you're going to say, well, hold on a second. Uh, was he accused of stealing? He willfully retained classified documents that as a U.S. senator and even as a vice president, he had absolutely no authority to keep. If somebody goes to my driveway right now at my home and takes a car from me, uh, we've only got two, so I'd notice if it was gone, uh, my car and Tina's car. If somebody takes my car without my permission, that's UUMV, unauthorized use of a motor vehicle. We call it stealing a car. Why? Because if you have no right to it and you take it anyway, it is theft. Joe Biden had no right to those documents. He took them anyway. He kept them. And we're also told he disseminated them. I'm going to want to read into the details of that report tonight. It only came out a couple of hours ago. But uh, we know at least that his son, Hunter Biden, had access to those classified documents. And it also seems as plain as the day that Hunter Biden actually used some of those classified documents. For what purpose? To get himself in good favor with the folks at Burisma, the natural gas company in Ukraine. So if he stole some of the classified documents, that is Hunter Biden, from his dad uh, and disseminated them, used them to his financial advantage to secure a $1 million a year board of directors seat on the uh, board of directors of Burisma, why would we believe that he wasn't farming through all of the rest of that? And how much of it ended up with his Chinese communist buddies? Because Hunter Biden had lots of friends in Kazakhstan, in Ukraine, in Moscow, in Beijing, and other countries. If dad is a gold mine of stolen classified documents, is anybody willing to make the laughable argument that Hunter Biden would not have taken full advantage of the access he had? Because after all, all they had to do was walk out in the garage next to the Corvette and take a look in those cardboard boxes. They were full of classified documents. And about the CHICOM-funded UPenn Biden Center, remember who paid for that thing? I mean, UPenn paid Joe Biden a million bucks a year to be a professor. 
He taught no classes. He taught no seminars. He didn't do anything for the money. He just got money because his name is Joe Biden. Oh, and because once he got that center at UPenn after his vice presidency, the Chinese communists wrote tens of millions of dollars in checks to UPenn. Now, that tells you how the money lines up. And all of a sudden, UPenn says, oh, you want a million bucks, Joe? Fine. You want us to fund your little think tank where you can store all those classified documents? And then somebody tell me that they seriously believe that Joe Biden was not farming out that information to all of his buddies, the ones who are paying his bills at UPenn. I don't buy it. In any case, our our X poll today, poll on X, is should Nikki Haley bow out of the presidential race or does she still have any kind of chance of actually getting the Republican nomination? I think she ought to bow out. I suspect she'll stay in until the money is gone. Uh, the poll on X is brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in. I join. You should, too. Just go to amac.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC is better. Better for you and better for America. And yesterday I did ask you about Tucker Carlson and his landmark interview. I'd have to say a landmark interview. There aren't a lot of organizations in the world that got interviews with Vladimir Putin. Was Tucker Carlson selling out America by doing an interview with Vladimir Putin? I told you my vote on that was no. 95% of you agreed with me. Only 5% of you saw that that was a sellout of American interests. In any case, glad to have you with me and glad to take your phone calls and emails. A shout out to our friends in Grants Pass, Oregon, who listen to Great Talk Radio on KCMD. That's FM 99.3 and where you can hear find my show Monday through Friday. Now about private property rights very quickly. The New York Post had a great story. Squatters ruining entire neighborhoods and Atlanta police response to evict is slow. Homeowners have restored, resorted to paying the nuisance fees to leave. Squatters have opened up an illegal strip club on a property they took over. In other words, all across America, you're seeing landlords being told you can't evict somebody, you can't raise the rent, and you can't kick them out. So do Americans still own private property anymore? And if you say, well, you're envious of those people. I don't care if you're envious. Tell me this. Do you own the things you own? And will you still own them later when Joe Biden and his buddies at the World Economic Forum say, someday you'll own nothing and you'll be happy? We'll talk about the Supreme Court hearing arguments on the Donald Trump case out of Colorado up next. Larson Show live at LarsLarson.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Well, until that DOJ report on Joe Biden today, the biggest news of the day was the U.S. Supreme Court hearing oral arguments in a case that I think they're going to decide quite handily in favor of Donald Trump. It involves Colorado's decision, which I thought was crazy, to simply declare him guilty of a crime he's never been indicted for, and then having found him guilty of insurrection, declare that he can't be on the ballot. And I think this is going to be a big disappointment, more than a big disappointment. I think it's going to make a bunch of liberals run around like their hair's on fire. So I want to talk to an expert on this, and that's Matt. Matt, is it Vadim or Vadim? Vadim. 
Vadim, very good. I guessed right. So that was, Vadim was my my <laughs> my second choice. Excellent. Um, well, from your last name, you sounds like you're of Scandinavian ancestry as well. Yeah, I sure you betcha. And it's spelled O N the way God intended. So if you, I, it, Matt, right. by the way, is a Supreme Court reporter for Epic Times, who I admire greatly. Matt, welcome to the program. Thank you. Hey, good to be here. Did you sit in on the oral arguments? I am out of the country. There's a death in the family, so I oh, I'm be sorry, there, but I'm on it. It's all right. Thank you. Life goes on, but appreciate it anyway. So I'm actually out of the country just for a few days, but I monitored it online, uh, and I so I know what was said. So I'm, I'm that, able to and, answer questions. And, questions and Matt, that's that. what I'm curious about. Did you? Uh, let's start with the the uh, less likely. Uh, were there any justices, even among the three most liberal justices of the nine, who ex- expressed any kind of questions that would indicate they were supporting Colorado's side of the argument? Um, maybe the not outright, but but it's it seemed that that Katanji Brown Jackson was the most sympathetic Colorado's position, but. Even then, she didn't. I don't think she seemed terribly sympathetic. Um, I know it's a fool's errand to predict what justices are going to do on the Supreme Court. Of course, I haven't had any problem being a fool in the past. So <laughs> Nor why, I. Why stop, right? But yeah. I think it's going to be nine zero in favor of Trump. I, you I, know, I, Matt, I, think, I, 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 I made the same. Pr- I made the same prediction earlier. I said it's going to be nine zero. It could be eight one. Maybe they'll throw a bone to the Maybe. liberals. Say we'll let we'll let Katanji vote against it just so she can look good. But but I honestly thought it was going to be nine zero. And and this means they have pursued a course against President Trump that is so far out of line. Even the liberals on the Supreme Court can't support it. Is that okay. fair to say? Well, do you think? I think that that is fair to say. This. The idea that President Trump, whom at, at least close to half of America wants to vote for to be president again, yep. um, that he should be excluded by some judges when he hasn't even been convicted of an offense of insur- insurrection or whatever, um, or sedition or anything like that. The idea that judges can decide an election, uh, can decide who gets to be president, is not appealing to most people. It is, this is a fringe legal position, um, despite all the heavy support it gets in the New York Times and the Washington Post and on the Soviet echo chamber known as MSNBC. <laughs> the, this is, it really is a fringe legal position. Even David Axelrod, who's, I don't know if he's an old commie from way back, but he's pretty far left, and he was campaign advisor, senior advisor to President Obama, and in the White House, uh, on the campaign trail, and in the White House. Even he said it's a real problem when you're, you want to ban somebody from being a candidate whom half of the country wants to vote for. You can't do that. Even though he thinks, you know, you want to beat Trump, you got to do it at the ballot box, not by some dirty trick of, of you know, disqualifying him under some rarely used provision uh, of the 14th Amendment that was created to keep Confederate officers and so on out of Congress. It wasn't created to keep, you know, presidents from running again. It was never intended for that purpose. So even he said it's very dangerous um, to do that. And, you know, this is, the kind of, this is the kind of thing that could speak, that could spark, they disqualify him, could spark civil conflict, riots, 
I don't know, maybe a civil war one day, or maybe that's, you know, going, taking it too far, but uh, in predicting what could happen. But it would cause tremendous tension in our society for, you know, when, when like half the country, um, at, you know, at least like 45, 47% of the country wants to vote for President Trump again. Um, you, you can't deny them that choice. And I think all but the most partisan um, whacked out left-wing Democrats accept that. Well, except, and Matt, you're right, it, it's a fringe position. But isn't it odd to have a fringe position that's actually been taken in lawsuits? I don't, I, I don't know that there's one in every single state, but there are one, there are lawsuits in, in uh, about almost two dozen states seeking this very result. And we actually saw them care, I mean, you saw the actions carried out in both Maine and Colorado. So isn't it odd to have a, a fringe position legally, which is being, they're trying to exercise in most of, of the states in the United States? You're right. You're right. And that's why this, I think the Supreme Court took it. To slap it down decisively, we, now, we will I, find out in the next few days or weeks when they make their decision. I don't think they're going to drag it out. Sometimes they take a long time. I don't think they're going to take a long time to decide this one. Well, they really can't drag it. I mean, I, I'm thinking back to, and I was around during Gore, Gore v. Bush, and that one was decided in yeah. what about a little less than 30 days. This one maybe not even as long. Maybe the issues are clear cut enough. I don't know if. I don't know if the uh, Supreme Court does what a lot of uh, civilian petty juries do. You know, when they when they walk into the jury room, I've heard, I've talked to I've never served on a jury. I'd love to. I don't think a lawyer would let me anywhere near it. But right. I'm told that some of the smartest ones will walk in and say, "Let's do a, a non-binding straw poll. How many think he's guilty?" You get twelve hands. Then you sit down. You order lunch just so just for decorum purposes have lunch and come out and say he's guilty and that's that you don't sit there and and have long strenuous arguments over something that that all 12 of you are already on the same page right no i i guess so i've never served on a on a on a petite um a petty jury either uh, for, for your reader listeners that's a normal like criminal jury a grand right. jury is deciding on indictments but do you suppose the do you suppose the nine yeah. Matt? Do you suppose the nine on the Supreme Court ever walk walk out of the chamber and they kind of look at each other and say, "Okay, how many want to kick this thing to the curb?" And you get nine hands or eight and a half hands. And you go, then why don't we just get it done and get it over with? I don't know if they actually do that, but I I think you get situations where it's probably pretty close. You know, now, most, one th- most Supreme Court decisions are unanimous, by the way. It, it's only on the really big contentious issues where there's a split. Almost all decisions are unanimous or eight to one. The other thing that I thought was odd, and since you listened, I was doing, I was working on other things related to the show because I've got dozens of, of topics that we talk about. But one thing I thought was really strange was when the lawyer for Colorado stood up and, and Justice Thomas uh, says to him, well, so give me an example where they blocked a, a president or a national candidate from running, and what happened? Well, he I, he couldn't give an example. <laughs> is, is that is that what you're referring to? Yeah, that's he what I, I mean. It was like, say, you're, and he, and you're he saying, just he just kind of dissembled for a while, and <laughs> he just had some like word salad on that. Um, you know, when Justice Thomas was challenging him, but you also had a lot of the liberals being aggressive. Um, like Elena Kagan, liberal justice. She, there's, you know, the you're talking about Mr. Murray. I forget his first name. Was the lawyer for the 
the voters challenging Trump. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, he was saying this is all largely based upon the state's plenary power, you know, the state's power to, to, to make policy. And, uh, uh, and then Justice Kagan said, well, you know, I think this is a pretty national issue. So she's like pushing back. <laughs> Uh, and then she also said, why should a single state get to decide who gets the president of the United States? So that's kind of revealing when she says something like that. I know justices can be devil's advocates sometimes, and, you know, they're just doing that to help flesh out the arguments. But it happened a lot. And you had pres- you had conservative justice Brett Kavanaugh that a lot of people, Republicans would say, isn't that conservative? But broadly speaking, is part of the conservative block, right? Yep. And he said... Um, you know, yeah, something to that that same effect. Aren't you, aren't you disenfranchising tens of millions of people here? Absolutely right, Matt. Thank you very much. That's Matt Vadim, who is the Supreme Court reporter for Epic Times. Matt, we appreciate it. You got the Lars Larson. The Lars Larson Show. feet off the Because you can't get enough, Lars. Podcast every show at LarsLarson.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on what we like to call Conspiracy Theory Thursday. And think about all the raw material there. You've got Joe Biden too senile to be prosecuted, not too senile to be president of the United States, according to the Democrats. In fact, if things go as they appear to be going right now, although they could change before summer, you will see the Democrats this summer grant a nomination to be president of the United States to a guy who's been judged by his own government agencies to be too senile to be prosecuted. Now, think about the implications of that. I want you to think about something else, too, and that is Americans are being told by so many actions of their own government, which is supposed to serve them and not the other way around, that they are second-class citizens in their own country. Now, I've cited a number of examples Uh, If an American leaves the United States on travel or vacation or whatever, you come back to the border, you come back to an uh, an airport and you want to enter your own country. You have to provide proof that you are, in fact, entitled to enter the country as a citizen. You have to show your passport. I've done that a few times. Haven't traveled that much, but I've done it a few times. Uh, Tina and I once went to Canada, which is just a four or five hour drive away from where we live in Washington state. And on the way back at the border, they're going to want to see your passport. They may even want to take a look inside your car. They want to make sure you're not carrying any contraband out of the country or back into the country. So that's what citizens have to do. And yet now we're told that when illegal aliens come into America and they come in at the invitation and with the assistance of Joe Biden, why, you may not get any help from the U.S. government, but if you're an illegal alien, you come into the country, you're given thousands of dollars. You're given an airline ticket anywhere you decide that you want to go. You're given a sign up to be able to be on social welfare programs like food stamps and welfare and uh, subsidized housing and the like. All of that. And then you've got 
cities like New York City, which is now proposing to use $53 million in taxpayer money to send out $1,000 checks every 28 days or recharge some credit cards, uh, prepaid credit cards or debit cards, with $1,000 every 28 days. And I bet an awful lot of people who live in the New York area are wondering, why are they helping out the illegals? I'm a citizen here. I don't get that kind of help. But you are a second-class citizen to the illegal aliens. And a reminder of that came in Maine, the state of Maine, where the Paradise, Paradise, which is a paper, uh, reported that a Maine Democrat is now pushing for what they call a new migrant resettlement office that admits that illegal aliens are going to take priority, and this is worse than anything, over U.S. veterans. Maine Governor Janet Mills, of course, a Democrat, a month ago proposed a new migrant resettlement office within the governor's office of policy of new Americans. New Americans? You came in illegally and you're now a new American? You're an illegal alien. The purpose of the bill, called LD-2167, would be to attract 75,000 new workers over the next five years by incorporating illegal aliens into Maine's workforce. Now, my wife and I have been to Maine a few years ago before the pandemic. Uh, It's a great state. You drive around that state, it's very tourist-oriented. You understand that all those enterprises have to run with workers. Hotels, restaurants, all the various things that cater to tourists And look at this. The Democrat is trying to arrange that they get 75,000 illegal aliens. Why? Probably because you'll be able to hire them more cheaply. They'll be a lot more, uh, let's say, amenable uh, to schedule changes that Americans might not tolerate. Because if you tell a worker, we're going to treat you this way, we're going to expect you to work very hard for a limited amount of pay, and we're going to call on you anytime we want, some Americans will say, I'd rather do something else. The illegal aliens... They may just get some special consideration. And a Democrat state rep, Dega Dalek, who is co-sponsor of the bill, was asked during a legislative hearing why Maine should fast-track illegal aliens instead of focusing the state's resources on assisting U.S. citizens who served in the military. Dalek is the first Somali-born mayor in the United States, replied that veterans have the advantage of speaking English. They have the advantage of speaking the language, most of our military folks. So these folks that we're working on may not have that. In other words, if you're an American veteran and you can actually speak English, then you come in second when it comes to the state trying to help you find employment. Illegal aliens come in first, and we've got a Somali-born mayor. I mean, it sounds like he's in cahoots with Ilhan Omar or Rashida Tlaib. So it's going to be really difficult for them to say, yes, I used to be an electrician in my country. At least 10 members of the advisory council would be legally required to be so-called immigrants, eight of whom appointed by the governor, one by the president of the Senate, one by the Speaker of the House. So all named by people in government, and they will decide what is handed out to illegal aliens and what is not handed out to United States veterans. And think about how shameful that is. I also want to mention California. I lived in California a couple of times when I was a kid. I haven't in a long, long time. But California has been having some record rain. They had record rain last year as well. And you might then wonder, how is it that a state that is constantly complaining about being in a drought status has all this rain falling, but it never seems to make a difference when it comes to drought? As the Washington Post reports, 
For the second consecutive winter, rain is not just falling on once-parched California. It's inundating the Golden State in a record-setting volume faster than it could be safe. Faster? Why? I want to remind you, if you dig back in the history, and this even goes back before my time, the father of former Governor Jerry Brown of California was Pat Brown, who was also governor of the state of California. And Pat Brown, while I might have disagreed with a bunch of his politics, he had proposed 25 different water projects throughout the large state of California. And what is a water project? A dam, a reservoir, uh, some kind of way of controlling and saving the rain that falls. That's what he proposed. And what happened instead? Well, a bunch of environmentalists, a lot of them I suspect from San Francisco and Los Angeles, decided we've already got all the water we need. We're not so worried about the Central Valley of California or other places. They can just suffer. And the question was raised, in fact, I gave you some numbers a year ago in January of last year, that when the rains fell in January of last year, there was so much rain in California that if they had built these water projects, and it was a choice not to build them, They could have done it. It would have been a fantastic investment. Investments like that that would pay back to the people who funded them, and there have been public votes to fund new reservoirs and dam capacity. That water would have carried California through many, many years of short water, the years where you don't have as much rain. And here's what the WAPO reported. Rather than filling up reservoirs or slowly sinking into the soil. The floodwaters surge across the landscape and rip through communities before finally washing out to the sea. When we do get these storms, they're going to be bigger, they're going to be flashier, and we need to be better prepared to capture that water. That's that's the common sense approach. You say to the people of California, there are years where we're short of water, and that means bad news for people in agriculture. It can even mean bad news in terms of having enough water to be able to supply the needs of the people who live in that state. And instead of saving it, they've decided not to because the environmentalists pitch a fit every time you suggest building a, a reservoir or a dam or any other way of hanging on to that water. Instead, and I want you to, this is the image that's always come to my mind. When you see water like it's falling in California right now, as I said, I don't live there, so I don't have a direct dog in the fight. But consider this. When that water flows out of the state of California into the Pacific Ocean, it goes from being literally one of the most valuable resources anywhere on Earth. There are places on Earth that would die to have that much water, fresh water. And you know what it becomes when it flows into the ocean? It becomes the most plentiful and largely useless resource on Earth. Back in a moment, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google. Yeah, he's everywhere. The Lars Larson Podcast. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to take your calls. And I'm also equally, maybe even uh, to a greater extent, glad that John Solomon can join us. He is a political commentator, conservative expert, and founder of JustTheNews.com. John, how are you? 
I'm well. Good to be with you, Lars. Hey, before we talk about Nikki Haley, which we had planned to talk about, I, I do want to talk about the Colorado suit and the oral arguments before the court. Sure. But first, I want to ask you about this. Joe Biden is too senile to be prosecuted, but not too senile to be president. Yeah, well, that is a question that this report uh, it puts into full motion. Now, listen, there's two things about this report. The first is it renews in perhaps the most powerful way the concerns that we have a dual system of justice that. Joe Biden can not only willfully retain classified information, but give it to someone who wasn't supposed to have it, his uh, ghostwriter, and he doesn't get prosecuted. And President Trump, who's never been accused of giving classified information to someone, gets charged with 40 counts in federal court. That's the first thing. The second thing is the president's uh, capabilities, the full weight of the United States government in the form of the Justice Department, in the form of Special Counsel Robert Hur, has concluded that the current president serves an office with diminished capabilities. That's the actual uh, language in the report. Excuse me, diminished faculties. Think about that. The government says the current president has such diminished faculties, he might not actually be worth prosecuting. The man's still in office. This is going to renew a debate about Biden's competency to be president in ways that I don't think any of us could have imagined 24, 48 hours ago. In fact, I was thinking forward to this summer. Is the Democrat Party really going to renominate a man who's been judged? And and I made the same emphasis as you did by his own Department of Justice as being so incompetent that he can't be charged with the crimes that he admits he committed. Um, But but he's okay to be renominated by the Democrats. It's a big question the Democrats are going to struggle with. And if they try to remove them, right, they have the problem of their own DEI affirmative action problem, which is that they probably are stuck with Kamala Harris, who actually polls worse than Joe Biden <laughs> uh, in, in the polls. So uh, the Democrats are trapped by the, the big decisions. I mean, they kind of knew what they were getting themselves into in 2020 with the basement campaign. Now, though, they're going to have to live with the consequences. This is a pretty significant day in the history. And it's frustrating from a standpoint of uh, equal administration of justice. But from a political standpoint, this is a firestorm that Joe Biden is going to have to live with the rest of this campaign. So let me ask you something, John. I used to, as a reporter, and I was a reporter for a long time, I love to ask gotcha questions, really. I mean, if they were well, if they were well-founded, I loved to, I showed up at news conferences at times and asked people, I helped push a, a guy out of the U.S. Congress, and he was a Republican because he had lied. And I knew he was going to lie, so I brought a copy of the document with me that he had lied on. And and when he lied, I, which I kind of expected he would do, I say, "Here's the document right here. Is that your signature?" I love that. Does any reporter, other than say you, have the guts to the next time Joe becomes available for a question, even if it's buried in a helicopter noise, um, you know, as opposed to a sit-down interview uh, like what Carlson yeah. got with uh, Putin the other day? Um, Does anybody have the guts to say, Mr. President, if your own government says you're too senile to be prosecuted, are you still capable of being president? Because that's a you could ask it politely, but it's very pointed. Yeah, Yeah, listen, I think that question is going to get asked. It has to get asked even by a media that often has abdicated its responsibility to ask tough questions. Many of my colleagues in the mainstream media today are telling me. This is a major issue and that they are going to have to raise this directly with the president. They're not going to get it with Corinne John Pierce. She never answers questions, but they have <laughs> at some point someone's going to ask that question. And it's probably going to be someone in a major news organization. Uh, and that will only be the beginning of a long process. It's, it's really something later tonight. We're going to break another part of the Joe Biden. Oh, tell uh, story. us now. Uh, tell us now. Yes, we'll give you a little teaser. So okay. 
Uh, he has a Hillary Clinton problem. Uh, uh, we are going to release tonight the first emails that the National Archives provided us under the duress of a Freedom of Information lawsuit from his three pseudonym accounts. These emails, uh, which are not ones that are on Hunter Biden laptop, these are ones that we've never seen before, make clear two things. Joe Biden routinely conducted federal government business on a private email account, a Gmail account, which is not very secure by federal standards. And secondly, many times while engaging and communicating with senior White House staff about government matters, he was CCing or copying his two sons, Hunter, uh, still with us, uh, Bo, who died tragically of cancer in 2015, and his brother, uh, James Biden. Two of those three were part of the big foreign maneuvering uh, business uh, uh, operation that scored the Biden family millions of dollars from places like China and Ukraine. That is a significant revelation. It's a Hillary Clinton. Now, it's not no suggestion of classified information in that. But the mere fact that Joe Biden routinely conducted federal business on private email, which was frowned upon and determined that that's not what anyone in federal government should do, it's going to take this further. And why is his family on the copies of White House government communications? These are going to be new questions we're going to have in the morning. I'm talking to John Solomon. You can find these breaking news stories at justthenews.com. But, John, that also raises the question, in any of those other alias accounts, does Joe Biden acknowledge in any way that he was part of those business deals? Nope, he doesn't. But maybe he doesn't remember it. At least Robert Hur has given him that as an opportunity for excuse. Uh, we're going to find out that he facilitated these business deals in many ways. You, you've seen the stories we've done where he attended yep. meetings at, at the National Observatory, uh, restaurants, and, of course, phone calls. Of course, he was uh, facilitating the family business. Now, the real question is, how much financial benefit did he get? I think we'll get an answer to that in the next few months. Yeah, I kind of wondered whether he'd made a reference to that, all the carping that his son did about, i got to pay all the family's bills. Let's go to Colorado exactly. for a moment. Colorado yes, takes sir. Donald, uh, declares him guilty of insurrection, something he's never been charged with, and then decides he's guilty and then says, and the sentence will be, we're going to take him off the ballot. Does this look like it's going to end up being a nine to nothing, no vote from the U.S. Supreme yes. Court for Colorado's actions? It felt that way. Of course, you never know really at the end how the justice is going to vote. But all nine justices had great dubious uh, dubiousness about what Colorado has done. I will say this. I thought the l arguments of the lawyers were not that strong. It, they were uh, maybe some of the weaker arguments. But the justices themselves redirected the conversation to the core <laughs> issues of who gets to decide. I thought that it was a good moment for people to see the Supreme Court really show its intellectual prowess today, even if the lawyers weren't at their A game. You know, I don't get this, John, because I've got friends who've actually, you know, take, taken a case to the U.S. Supreme Court. Sure. And they're very proud of having you because you get special status as a, you know, being sworn oh, yeah. in as, as a lawyer. And how can you show up without your A game? Yeah, I think a lot of experts today. I had um, uh, Alan Dershowitz on tonight. He, he was just shocked by the weakness of the arguments and then the robustness of the justices engaging, kind of redirecting and saving sort of some weak arguments into a really important question, which is, shouldn't we let the people decide this? We don't want states knocking out the candidates they don't like. I think that that is going to be how this argument is remembered. I do think it'll be 728190. Certainly felt that way from the justices, but let's see how they ultimately come down when they write the opinion. Check out that big breaking news about Joe Biden's Hillary Clinton email problem. Justthenews.com and John Solomon, who's a great friend of the show. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show.
Every one of these cases you see comes out of the White House. It comes out of Biden. It's election interference, and it's really very sad. That is Donald Trump. Donald John Trump, the president of the United States, and cheated of the presidency in 2020. And today, the United States Supreme Court heard the oral arguments of the latest effort by America's political left to literally tell Americans, you're not allowed to vote for this guy. We're going to take him off the ballot. There were efforts in 19 states, at least, to try to take Donald Trump's name off the ballot. And they didn't work. And today, the U.S. Supreme Court, and I'll give you some of the details we know about today. Today, the nine justices heard what are called oral arguments. That's when the lawyers, who've already submitted briefs to the Supreme Court, and the justices have already had a chance to read those briefs in one of those cases, the one involving the state of Colorado. That's when they get a chance to hear the lawyers make their arguments, and then significantly to ask questions of the lawyers. And that tells you a lot about where the court may be headed. We don't know when a decision will come down. It is likely to come down sooner rather than later. But I'm going to predict right here, I think it's going to be a 9 to 0. It could be an 8 to 1. But I think that nine of the justices are going to decide it is absolutely lunatic for them to say to states in America, any time your state, whether it's blue or red, doesn't like a presidential candidate and you can gin up some kind of excuse, even if it's a very thin excuse, you're allowed to simply take that candidate off the ballot altogether. In fact, if the liberals are thinking, and sometimes it appears they don't think very, very well, If they're thinking at all, they're going to realize if we can let Colorado take Trump off the ballot this time, then that means red states can take a liberal candidate off the election ballot. All they have to do is come up with some kind of excuse, whether it's well-founded in the law or the facts or anything else, and they'll simply remove the name from the ballot. In other words, they're opening up the kind of Pandora's box that I think even the liberals are not stupid enough to open up that Pandora's box. But let me get into the details of that in just a moment. First, welcome to the best conversation in talk journalism. It's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the list at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And if you do happen to be one of those naysayers, somebody who thinks that the state of Colorado was right to declare Donald Trump guilty of a crime he's never actually been indicted for, to find him guilty in a trial without evidence, without testimony, without that old constitutional nonsense about having the right to confront your accusers, without any of that stuff, they found him guilty of a crime he's literally never been accused of. And believe me, At this point, with 91 different indictments, I mean, the Democrats have thrown everything but the kitchen sink against Donald Trump. And why? 
because they know he's going to win the Republican nomination this year. They know he's going to win the presidential election this year. They know they have a demented dimwit as their current candidate. They have no convenient way to kick Joe Biden to the curb. And even if they did, then they have to explain to Democrat stalwarts why they're not going to let Kamala Harris be the nominee because then they're going to have to explain why they would deny that opportunity to a female person of color. And for Democrats, that's especially inconvenient. Now, for conservatives, wouldn't be a problem at all. We'd simply say, she's not up to the job. We can tell after more than three years as vice president, you wouldn't trust her to run a popsicle stand, let alone be president of the United States, because conservatives make their decisions based on a person's skills and abilities. Democrats... They've got to check all those boxes. And once they're checked, whether they were checked to make an affirmative action hire, like the current vice president or even one member of the U.S. Supreme Court, they've checked that box. They can't uncheck that box very, very easily. You can also vote in our Twitter poll. Used to call it the Twitter poll. Now it's the X poll. You can find it on X at Lars Larson Show. You can also find it on my website at LarsLarson.com. But I want to give you a couple of thoughts about this. Can the Democrats really do what they claim they're doing? They claim they're defending democracy. They don't appear to know that America is not a democracy. It is, in fact, a constitutional republic, a federalist republic in which the states have most of the authority. The federal government, in theory, has a little bit of authority, and the people have the greatest amount of authority because the government derives its right to govern from the consent of the governed. Yes, there were some great things the founders came up with, and we live by them today. But can you really defend the democratic elements of our Federalist Republic by stripping the name of America's literal most popular presidential candidate and take him off the ballot? I mean, it seems like a contradiction in terms. We're going to defend democracy by telling voters you're not allowed to vote for that guy. The guy with orange hair, the guy with the mean tweets, the guy who is the odds-on favorite to win the presidency come November. Can you really do that and defend democracy and deny the vote to the people at the same time? Well, the United States Supreme Court heard those oral arguments today, and they're considering Colorado. I mentioned it. This is the one case where it originates. But once the Supreme Court declares either Colorado can or can't take Donald John Trump off the ballot... All those other cases are going to effectively be decided. The ones where they haven't even had a decision yet. We've got Colorado. We've got Maine. We've got lawsuits and a whole bunch of other states. Well, insurrection, let's start with that. Insurrection is a federal criminal charge. Who would bring that charge? The DOJ. Only the Biden DOJ never brought that charge against President Trump. I would think that a politician like Merrick Garland, he's not really an attorney general. He's a political apparatchik. And if he could have brought an insurrection charge against Trump, he would have done so in a heartbeat. The Biden FBI also investigated the events of January 6, 2021. They announced publicly that they found no evidence that Trump engaged in insurrection. And what is insurrection? An armed overthrow of the government. So you've got a bunch of rioters, and there were rioters on January 6th, who entered the Capitol building, and they were demanding an honest count of the vote. Is that an attempt to take over the government? I don't think so. 
And apparently the Biden DOJ didn't think so either. Neither did the Biden FBI. And I don't think the U.S. Supreme Court is going to sign off on that either. And the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, Section 3, forbids anybody from seeking office who has engaged in insurrection. So Colorado simply said, like the Queen of Hearts, let's just skip over this stuff. We'll just find him guilty. Supporters claim that denying voters the choice of a candidate they don't like is standing up for democracy. Uh, yeah, right. Democrats fronted a demented and hugely unpopular president, that would be Joe Biden, as their candidate. That's the real reason. If the election were held today, the polls suggest Joe Biden, slow Joe, would lose by five percentage points. Well, I can't imagine conservatives on the high court going for it. And even the liberals, like Katenji Brown-Jackson, they know that if any state can forbid a candidate from running, Republicans will not be the only ones who get bounced off state ballots. Glad to be with you and always glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. political climate. He's the steamroller. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you and always glad to get your calls. If you want to join the best conversation and talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line. If you want to send an email instead, talk at LarsLarson.com. And of course, you can always vote in our poll on X. Uh, it used to be called Twitter. Now it's the X. So uh, we're calling it the poll on X. In any case, the question is there every day at Lars Larson Show. You can also find it on my website at LarsLarson.com. And I'm always glad to talk to Ira Melman, who works for the Foundation for American Immigration Reform, otherwise known as FAIR. They've been one of the stalwarts when it comes to border issues for decades. And I've been talking to Ira for decades. How are you, Ira? Uh, I'm doing well. Good to talk to you. I got to tell you something. Uh, I, I, I don't know how better to convince Americans that we're in a really desperate situation. Our country's being invaded. The current administration is showing no inclination whatsoever to fix this problem. So I wanted to get from you first uh, what the situation looks like on the ground at the southern border and, and where we go from here. Well, you know, we just spent a couple of days down in the lower Rio Grande Valley uh, getting a look around. Uh, you, know, you talk to the people down there, and they will tell you that their lives have been turned upside down over the past three years. Uh, that the minute Joe Biden said, so help me God, uh, it began in, in earnest, and, and they're seeing the results of it. Uh, what, we're, what we also saw, though, was the beginning effects of Governor Abbott's efforts to control the border himself. Uh, in the absence of federal uh, authorities doing it, uh, he has decided that he's going to do it himself. And what we've seen is that a lot of the traffic that used to be coming through Texas is now being routed through Arizona and California. So that's good for the people in, in Texas, not necessarily good for the folks out in Arizona and California or the rest of the country. They're still getting in in record numbers. But uh, Governor Abbott has demonstrated that, you know, with relatively little effort, you can control that border. And he has done 
uh, done a lot to control the border. He has put up the, the razor wire in spite, in spite of the fact that the Supreme Court has given uh, the feds the green light to cut the razor wire. They're not doing it right now. Uh, so it, it, the cartels are smart. They're not going to send people through areas where it's going to be difficult to get them in. They're going to take the path of least resistance. And right now, the path of least resistance is not through Texas. Which I, I guess in some ways, Ira, I, I, I don't wish ill on the people of California, but I would put this to you. If they begin to see this massive, you know, invasion of illegals, I mean, they've certainly had their experience with illegals over the years. I think many of their massive budget problems are because of a population of illegal aliens in their state. But if all of a sudden they see a massive number and California, and there's a reason that elections have consequences, as the great uh, Hussein Obama said, uh, is that is that when when uh, a state gets hit with something like this and you say, but they're going to vote in the presidential election. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, the people of the state look to their Democrat governor, Gavin Newsom, and say, what are you going to do about it? And he says nothing because he's got to stay loyal and true uh, to the president because he's a fellow Democrat. Same as Eric Adams in New York or, you know, uh, Brandon Johnson in Chicago or the mayor of Philadelphia or uh, Muriel Bowser in D.C. They want to stay loyal. Uh, they can't call out Joe on this because Joe, as you point out, could actually fix this problem by doing nothing more than what the state of Texas, limited by the laws and resources and everything else, they were able to do it fairly readily. And, and, and Joe Biden and his Democrat friends would say, oh, no, you have to give us billions of dollars more and new laws and everything else or we can't solve the problem. Well, that's demonstrably untrue, isn't it? Right. And that, that was just a shakedown. You know, if you look at that bill that came out of the Senate, uh, and, and what Mitch McConnell and James Lankford were thinking, I, I don't know. Uh, basically, they, they got taken to the cleaners. Is that They walked right into a trap. But if you look at what was in that bill, there was money for the NGOs to facilitate illegal immigration. Uh, there was it, it would actually have made uh, asylum fraud even easier than it already is. Uh, it was all about the money, and the money wasn't going to help the American people. It was going to resettle people all across the country where taxpayers in those localities uh, could help fund the, the livelihood of the, of the migrants who are coming in. And, you know, you, you mentioned what's happening in New York City and Chicago and places like that. Watch some of the YouTube videos of the city council meetings and see who was showing up to complain about it. This is the Democratic base that is coming out in force and saying, this is crazy. This is undermining our well-being, our children's education. Everything that we, we need uh, is being taken away and given to the migrants. You know, you look at New York City, an astounding fact. Uh, New York City is now spending more on the migrants than they spend on the police department, the fire department, and the sanitation department combined. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's well, just crazy. And, and, and not just on. government, but Ira, I've told my audience there, there are um, hospital systems in the American Southwest, Arizona in particular, that are saying we're, we're being crushed financially. We may have to close our emergency room because we have so many people. You know, when you bring 10 million people in, you know, 8.5 million direct encounters, 1.7 million gotaways, and a few go get sent back, but the vast majority come in and they are uninsured, uh, they may have disease or other problems, and they show up at the hospital and they get free care that, that has to be paid for by others, and the numbers unbalance like that, then what does a hospital do when they say, we don't have enough money coming in to keep this operation going, and some of them are literally warning, we're going to be shut down if you don't fix this problem. 
Right. What they also do is pass the bill along to you. If you have insurance, your insurance premiums are going to go up because that's the way they finance some of the free health care that they have to give to the migrants. So if you're paying for health insurance in this country, uh, you're probably going to wind up paying more because that's the way the hospitals offset some of the costs. Uh, you know, we're just passing the buck here. And inevitably, the bill winds up with the American taxpayer, whether it's through higher premiums for health insurance, whether it's for higher taxes. You know, Governor Newsom uh, is talking about increasing taxes. People are already taxpayers are fleeing California uh, because the taxes are so onerous already. You know, it it becomes a a proposition that just cannot continue to feed on itself because people eventually give up and say, yeah, the the weather is beautiful here, uh, but I can't afford to stay here. And I can't afford to have my family raised here where we can't get a decent education for our kids, where we can't get decent health care. People pick up and leave those places and go elsewhere. I'm talking to Ira Melman. He's with FAIR, the Foundation for American Immigration Reform. The other issue, you mentioned it just in passing, but when James Langford of Oklahoma comes out and says, here's the bill, here's the deal, and he had encouraged everybody over the last few weeks, don't judge it by the rumors you're hearing about it. You Wait till you see what's in it. And you're right. It legalizes the entry of up to 5,000 adults with an uncounted number of children. So it could actually be six or seven or 8,000 people who come in on a given day and that that would be legalized. And why Langford or Mitch McConnell or anybody in the U.S. Senate on the Republican side thought that that was a an idea that wasn't just dead on arrival. I don't know. Do you? Yeah. No, I, I have no idea. Uh, look, even if you just take the 5,000 figure, that's 1.825 million a year. That is more than we take in through our legal immigration process. So we would actually be le- allowing more people to come into the country illegally than we allowed to, uh, coming into the country legally. I mean, it just makes a mockery of the whole system. And you're right. I mean, I, I have a vaguest clue why McConnell uh, did this, why James Lankford did it. Um, you know, if anybody has a guess, I, I'd be—I'd love to hear it. And by the way, one last thing, because we saw the special counsel report, and you're going to say, Lars, that has nothing to do with immigration. This is the guy who's calling the shots for Homeland Security and everybody else. Uh, according to the special counsel, they investigated because of the classified documents that Joe Biden admits that he illegally took, illegally retained, and illegally disclosed. President Biden couldn't remember when he was vice president or when his son Bo died. He uh, and they said the only reason we're we're not bringing uh, suggesting charges, criminal charges against the sitting president of the United States is because a sympathetic jury would see him as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory who can't even remember when he was vice president of the United States. That's Ira Melman from FAIR, the Foundation for American Immigration Reform. Ira, it's a pleasure. Can you imagine? We got a president who's full on senile and confirmation of that today, and he's calling the shots during a massive invasion of the United States. You're listening to the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show.
Just listen for five minutes. You'll feel better. More with Lars Larson right now. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails. The most stunning thing that has come out today. I think this is absolutely extraordinary. What is what has been reported that Joe Biden is so senile that he can still be president, but he can't be held responsible for willing violations of federal law, including stealing classified documents, holding on to those documents and even disseminating or giving away the information in those documents. Now, I hope people remember that when that raid on Mar-a-Lago happened and the left-wing media, the legacy media, MSNBC, CNN, and the rest, they all went nuts. Why, Donald Trump has national security secrets and he's selling us out to China or he's selling us out to Russia. Do you know the Democrats do so much projection? When one of theirs is guilty of something, they start pointing fingers and shouting at the top of their lungs. But this extraordinary result from the special counsel report, so when... The uh, DOJ, the Department of Justice, under the very politicized Merrick Garland, uh, decides we have to investigate whether or not President Biden, who's a sitting president, whether or not he took classified documents that he had absolutely no right to take as a senator or even as vice president. Now, the stuff he takes home today, I guess he can take it home today, declassify it or whatever. He can't seem to remember he's already mistaken meeting two world leaders, uh, president of France and the president or the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the chancellor of Germany. Uh, he, he, he names these guys. Yeah, I met with them right after I became president. They were both dead. One of them had been dead for 25 years when Joe Biden remembers meeting him in the last three years. He remembers meeting people who were dead a long time ago. But consider this. So the special counsel is hired by the DOJ to go and look at this classified documents problem because Joe Biden's got classified documents in Chinatown. He's got classified documents at the Chinese communist funded think tank at the UPenn Center, the Biden Center at UPenn. It was funded by the Chinese communist government through University of Pennsylvania, which is a private university. He's got some of the documents in his garage in um, in uh, Rehoboth Beach, uh, Delaware, or at his at his main house in Delaware. Um, and they're sitting in a cardboard box, unlocked, not secured or anything else. And they've charged President Trump with crimes for having classified documents that he had under lock and key. He knew what they were. He was communicating with the archives about giving them back and or, you know about which ones had to be given back and which ones did not. And I had a lot of people after that raid at Mar-a-Lago call me up and they say, well, Donald Trump took documents he had no right to. And I said, no, there was a disagreement between archives and the Trump campaign uh, about which documents had to be returned and which did not. If you think that's something new, I would suggest to you that both in private industry and in government, these kind of disputes happen from time to time. Somebody goes home from a governor's office or somebody goes home, goes home from the U.S. Senate and they say, I don't want to give up those documents. Well, you have to. And then the lawyers get together and they figure out which one is right. And, and sometimes the person trying to hang on to the documents is right. But what we do know is that Joe Biden in interviews has said he began taking classified documents from the government as early as 1974 when he was a U.S. senator who had no legal authority to possess those documents. He could look at them in a skiff. 
you know, at, at you know, through the U.S. Congress, but he couldn't take them with him. He took them. He kept them. He apparently disclosed them to a number of people. And now the special counsel says this. President Joe Biden could not remember when he was vice president of the United States. I can remember when he was vice president of the United States. This is just a few years ago. I mean, he went in with Barack Obama. He became vice president in January of 2009. He left in January of 2017 when Donald Trump thankfully took over. He couldn't remember when he was vice president. He couldn't remember when his son, Bo Biden, died, who died, if memory serves, in the mid-teens, like 2015, 2016, because he had cancer. And yet Joe runs around in campaign speeches saying, my son served in Iraq and he died in Iraq because of the Iraq war, which is a big, fat lie. So all I'm telling you is, but Robert Hur, the special counsel, says you can't bring charges for mishandling, I would call it theft, of classified documents because a jury would see the president as, quote, a sympathetic, well-meaning, elderly man with a poor memory. So he's senile, but he can still go on as president of the United States. If that makes sense to any Democrat, I'd love to take the naysayer call. In the meantime, Ron, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Well, what's on my mind, Lars, is exactly what we've been talking about all day on your show. Um, your, uh, that one caller you had on there, I, I heard the same broadcast he heard. It, the problem is, is ABC, uh, some of these news agencies just keep lying every time you go to break. And I about fell out of my truck when I heard it, and it took me about 30 seconds to realize it was just another episode of the Democrat show. But, you know, I don't know if you caught that. Uh, your, that one caller was right on the money when, uh, they were, when you were saying, uh, uh, that just Robert Hurt said that he's, uh, I don't know, uh, old and, I don't know, he's just not uh, able to process, but he's making all these excuses why they can't prosecute him. I got news for you. Uh, this is the United States of America. That's for a jury to find, not a politician. Uh, this is obstruction of justice. And if you ask me what's going on here, this is political terrorism. And if you think for five seconds I, as an American citizen, are going to listen to anything the Democrats say after today, no way, Jack. I got to tell you something, Ron, there there this needs to happen. And I know there are reporters I know who have no guts and there are politicians who have no guts. And they say, well, you know, I can't say those things about the president because he's the president or I can't ask that kind of hard question. Yes, you can. If somebody decides they want to seek an office, I don't care if it's dog catcher, mayor, county commissioner, governor, senator or president of the United States. If you're not up to it, then submit your resignation. Let somebody else take your place. Somebody who's even crazier, in this case, that'd be Kamala Harris. But instead, he's going to get away with having committed crimes literally for decades because they say, well, we can't do this to him because the jury would be very sympathetic to him. If we're worried that this guy has given away classified secrets, remember how absolutely apoplectic the mainstream media was. Well, Donald Trump has got all... I mean, there were people saying he's got nuclear secrets. He's giving away our classified information to our enemies, to China, to Russia, to whoever. And you say, hold on a second. You've got a guy sitting in the office right now who could decide to send our whole national security strategy to the mad mullahs in Tehran if he wanted to. And if he's so senile that a jury would look at him sympathetically, why wouldn't he? 
He wants to he wants to curry favor with the leaders of Tehran. So uh, why wouldn't he do that? I mean, he seems like one big national security risk. And I want Republicans to start demanding answers on it. And in fact, the 25th Amendment provides that if a majority of his cabinet officers and the vice president go to the House of Representatives and say, the president is not capable of doing the job anymore. I realize we get Kamala Harris, but guess what? The Democrats get Kamala Harris, too. What do you think of that? Yeah, and you know the sad part about that feed your your that last caller was talking about uh, after that little scare session, just after they got done uh, uh, minimizing uh, his culpability in, in some crime, the next segment come up, the next commercial, and then they were talking how he's presidential timber. Which is it? Yeah, is is he so senile he can't be charged with a crime, but not nearly senile enough? that he can't still be the president of the United States. And remember all the people who were worried about Reagan and Trump, why they've got the finger on the button. Joe Biden also has his finger on the button. And apparently he is certifiably senile because his own Department of Justice says so. Back in a moment, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Control. Our Constitution is a document in which we, the people, tell the government what it is allowed to do. This is the Lars Larson Show. We were tipped off that this female volleyball game that we witnessed earlier featured not one, not two, not three, not four, but five men pretending to be females. Three were on Seneca, two were on Centennial. Gee, can you imagine which side won? That is one of the reporters for Rebel News that posted this. And I'm going to suggest to you, it happened in Canada less than two weeks ago. It was an allegedly women's college volleyball game in Canada. And I think we're going to start seeing the same kind of thing happening in America as well. Five transgender players, three men on one side, biological men who identified as women, two on the other side. And what he described is, well, the women stayed on the bench a lot of the time. Listen to that soundbite. Not only that, the male players were always on the court. So you had biological female substitutes just sitting on the bench for the entire game. Now, this is what I've been suggesting to you it was going to happen eventually. That when, especially in team sports like volleyball, that if you have biological men who now identify as women, they are going to dominate in sports. And the women are left on the bench. Again, it happened in Canada. It was less than two weeks ago at a big college game. But if you think this isn't coming towards America, I think you're sadly mistaken. Glad to have you with me. Uh, thanks for joining me on the Lars Larson Show. If you want to join me on the phone, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Naysayers always go to the head of the line on this program. Always have, always will. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And, uh, and you can also vote in our poll on X. You'll find that at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Let's go first to Mike. Hey, Mike, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? 
you know, our, our federal government is composed of three distinct branches, the legislative, executive, and judicial. Yeah. And I have been let down by all three. Because today I heard after the Supreme Court uh, came about with the – but then saying that Donald Trump can't be on the ballot in Colorado, I heard today – that also no, oh, hold on hold mike FBI. mike for, hold on i i can't let you put bad info to the audience number one Got the it. supreme court heard the argument they have not issued a decision although it seems very likely that the u.s supreme court is going to strike down the colorado decision that trump is off the ballot they're going to support trump being on the ballot is the way we've read what the justices of the court had to say during oral arguments but they have not issued a ruling yet uh, I would expect one fairly soon, probably not this week, but but certainly we're not going to have to wait till June. So don't tell my audience that they've made a decision, nor have they made, nor do they seem likely to make a decision that Trump is off the ballot. If anything, I've predicted that they're going to have either an eight one or a nine zero decision in favor of keeping Trump on the ballot and slapping down the efforts of the people in Colorado uh, to say that Trump is not allowed on the ballot. So just just so that information is squared away. I agree with you on that, and I'm sorry if I misspoke. But what I'm trying to say also is that today, what I heard on these little news blips in between your show when you take when you take the uh, commercial breaks, that it was reported that the same documents that that Joe Biden had um, and he put away in his with his Corvette and in his garage and even in Chinatown. I'm just wondering, so. They they said that he can't take the stand because he's too senile to take yep. the stand. That that's the that's essence the of it, Mike. And this and is the guy, this is the guy that's the president of the United States and has command codes for nuclear weapons. And yep. so I'm just wondering, how does that fit in in how does that fit at all? It doesn't. It doesn't. Make sense. It, Mike, it, it makes it makes no sense. But let me make it even worse for you. Like like you can say, well, how could it be worse than that? Consider that right now, the best president of the 21st century, President Trump, is is facing criminal charges that could send him to prison for years. And some of those relate to classified documents that he had a right as president to declassify, that he had a right to take to his home, that he was holding under lock and key at Mar-a-Lago. And the National Archives and Records Act covers all that. And there was a dispute about which documents did Trump have to return to National Archives and which did not. He's now facing criminal charges. Joe Biden, on the other hand, who admitted that when he became a U.S. senator in the early 70s, began taking classified documents that as a senator, he had absolutely zero authority to take home. He took them home. He had zero authority to hang on to them, to retain them, as the special counsel's report describes it. They use fancy lawyer words. He had no right to hang on to them. He did. And he disclosed them. Now, I don't have the details on what his disclosures were, but I'll tell you one that I suspect. There was a memo that was written by Hunter Biden, who wanted to be on the board of directors of Burisma because they're going to pay him about a million bucks a year. And he did get paid a million bucks a year for being on the board of directors of a Ukrainian natural gas company. And he wanted to show how dialed in he was to the issues involving Ukraine back when he was on the Burisma board of directors. Well, how did he do that? I don't think Hunter Biden had this on his own. He just took dad's memo, transcribed it. 
you know, almost some of it word for word and put it in a memo to these folks in, in at Burisma who wanted to pay him a million bucks a year. And you're right about Joe Biden, the special counsel, which is a fancy name for a lawyer who's been hired by the Department of Justice to investigate all these documents that Joe Biden held on to for almost half a century from the early 70s all the way to present. And you're right. They were at the UPenn Center, which was the CHICOM funded uh, think tank that Joe Biden had. They were stuffed in a closet and apparently nobody even knew they were there. Joe didn't know they were there, uh, he claims, although they must have been moved at least a couple of times from when he was vice president to when he became president. And they must have been somewhere else. He also had classified documents in cardboard boxes in his garage next to his Corvette and not locked up in any way whatsoever. And you're right. Let let me read you this one paragraph from this. President Biden could not even remember when he was vice president, which is not that long ago, or when his son, Bo Biden, had died. He's that dim upstairs. That's from the special counsel, Robert Hur. So Robert Hur says, this guy, you can't charge this guy because a jury would see the president, and here I'm going to quote from his report, as a sympathetic, well-meaning, elderly man with a poor memory. But in the report, Robert Hurd did conclude that Biden willfully, that means he decided to do it, he willfully retained and disclosed classified materials after his vice presidency when he was a private citizen. So Joe Biden, who is currently the sitting president of the United States, willfully hung on to documents he had no right to. He disclosed them to somebody probably through Hunter to people in Ukraine. Um, And he hung on to all this, but you can't charge the poor darling because he's so senile that the jury would take sympathy on him. And so he's going to skip out. Meantime, the Democrats and the DOJ are trying to put Donald Trump in prison. You got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show.